Hi, this is Renee Christensen, and this is the Training Them Wisely podcast, where each week we talk about different ways that we can disciple our kids, grow in our spiritual walk. And I am the author of Training Them Wisely, Discipling Kids, my new book that is out on Amazon. So if you haven't already, I hope that you will head over there and check it out. So today is the second part of our interview with Israel Wayne, who is the Director of Family Renewal. And before, I really enjoyed listening to him before. We ended up talking so long that it's taking up two episodes. And so I'm excited for y'all to get to hear what he has to say again today. Israel Wayne is a father of 11 who is passionate about defending the Christian faith and developing a biblical worldview. He is the director of Family Renewal and author of the books Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians, and Pitching a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting, among others. More information may be found at www.familyrenewal.com. One thing I do want to ask you about, because I loved this. I went to one of the things that you talked about, and I loved how you talked about the difference between family rules and God's rules. And to me, that just made a lot of sense to me. It stuck with me and I've used it as (laughs) whenever I start having conversations with people about things, I use this example all the time. I'm like, well, I listened to (laughs) to Israel Mm. talk about this. So can you just kind of explain what you mean by the difference between family rules and God's rules? Well, I think where that originally came from in my own thinking was um, I often say that the Bible describes the, the path to heaven as being a narrow road, right? Mm-hmm. But on either side of the narrow road is a ditch. And as Christians, we like to careen from one ditch to the other. <laughs> I don't know why we like to spend most of our path to heaven in a ditch. <laughs> and so um, one of the, the ditches that we have within uh, Christianity in America is worldliness. And I think it's the dominant ditch of Christianity um, today, that we love the world, we love the things that are in the world. And First John tells us that if that's true, the love of the Father is not in us. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge problem when we just are saturated in the things of the world, love the things of the world. But so in order to compensate for that, um, a lot of people think that the, the antidote to worldliness is legalism. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and it's not. Uh, the antidote to both worldliness and legalism is actually holiness. Um, some people think that, you know, holiness is the antidote to worldliness, which equates or equals legalism. It's not. It holiness doesn't. is actually the antidote to legalism as well. Um, and so we, we careen over here into legalism. And so we make up all kinds of rules. So when we say legalism, there's a lot of definitions that we could give to that. Um, one definition that's very common is people say legalism is trying to earn your salvation through your own good works. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be, I think, a working definition of legalism. But when I use the term, I'm usually referring to someone who has a whole list of man-made rules and laws that they elevate to the same authority as God's commands. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees did this, right? Yes. Where they had their own man-made rules and they tried to impose their man-made rules on Jesus And Jesus was uh, very much about obeying God's commands, but not so much about obeying all their man-made rules. And so what uh, the the libertine parent does is says, well, I don't want to be a legalist, so I just won't have any rules for my child. Uh, We just won't have rules. Well, that creates worldliness, (laughs) but it also (laughs) creates chaos um, and, and a bit of anarchy in your child. And so that's not good. Uh, But then the, the, parent who leans towards legalism and wanting to to keep their child from sin sometimes thinks that they can keep their child from sin by creating a whole host of do's and don'ts 
And so what I've found is that in a lot of situations, you can't avoid having rules. You have to have them. They're just there. So you have to decide what clothing styles do you let your children wear? What foods do you let them eat? What games do you let them play? What books can they read? Uh, what movies can they watch? What kinds of sports activities can they be involved in? Who who can they hang around as far as friends? You know, you have to make decisions, right? Do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you might be loose on those decisions or you might be conservative uh, or, or strict. Um, but to me, what I've seen in three decades of doing this full time is that it, it's not really how loose or how tight you are in a sense. Um, there are very conservative, strict, if you want to call it that. I don't like that word, but I would just say very conservative families who have very conservative guidelines mm-hmm. for their children and their children don't necessarily go rogue. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the problem. The problem is when you your child gets confused about the difference between your man-made rules and laws mm-hmm. and God's commands. Yes. And so we have what we call house rules. And um, we teach our children that these are our house rules. And we try to give them our rationale, uh, what our thought process or logic is behind it. And for me, the standard for decisions that I make, I I try to make, um, if there's not a command from God, I mean, like there are commands of God, like don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Like those are really easy uh, to know what's right and wrong. (laughs) But, you know, can we play this video game? Can we watch this PG-13 movie? Can we go to this concert? Um, Can I wear this outfit? You know, you don't find Bible verses on those things. You have to use wisdom, right? So the more that we as people, and particularly in this case, us as parents, know what God is like, Mm -hmm. the more we know his nature and his character, um, the better we're going to be at discerning whether or not this choice is consistent with his attributes mm-hmm. um, and whether this would be something that would bring him pleasure or whether this would be displeasing to him. And so we want to try to explain to our child, okay, we've decided not to allow you to go to this PG-13 movie. Here's why. Here's our concerns. Uh, this movie takes the Lord's name in vain. It has these two sex scenes in it. It's got a ton of gratuitous violence and the overall theme of the movie is nihilism and despair. So this just doesn't feel like this is going to be beneficial for your Christian growth, right? Yes. Try to explain those things. But I think uh, on a lot of the house rules, you have to explain that um, your standards on certain things are not necessarily God's commands and they're not necessarily uh, universal for all families. Mm-hmm. And so one silly illustration that I use for our family is that um, in our, at our home, um, we don't allow our children to drink caffeine. And the reason that I don't allow my children to drink caffeine is because when some of my children drink caffeine, I no longer like them. <laughs> and, and I want to like my children, right? And so we have just found that things go a lot better for all of us all the way around. They're better children and I'm a better dad when they don't drink caffeine. Um, That's not God's command. Mm -hmm. And there may be Christian families out there who drink caffeine and their children drink caffeine. And that's fine. That's their choice. That's their family standard, if you will. That's their house rule. Um, And our house rules are not universal for other people's houses. And so we want to be very careful when we teach our children 
that um, we tell them, hey, we have standards and it's part of being in our family, but we don't believe that families who have different standards on these issues are not saved. We don't believe that they love Jesus less than we do. We don't believe that they're less Christian or, you know, going to a lesser heaven than we are. Um, in fact, in many cases, they may love Jesus more than we do, um, but we just have this standard. And, and it's based on hopefully wisdom. It's based mm -hmm. on what we think is best for our family. And as parents, sometimes what you know about each child, and this makes it tricky because yes. there are children who can handle certain things and other children in your same family that can't. Yes. Um, like, for example, I have one child who has a very strong addictive personality. And if that child were to play a video game for 30 minutes and you ask this child to come away from the video game, that child will have a meltdown, mm -hmm. will not be able to extract themselves from the game because of that addictive personality. Uh, a totally different child in the same family might be able to play for 30 minutes and be like, okay, I'm done, fine, and walk away from it and be okay. But while one child can handle it, this other child can't, mm -hmm. right? So, so it's hard to even have house rules that are uniform for all of your children because their personality types are so different and sometimes their needs are different. Yes. And so I think that's where as a parent, if you explain your, your rationality, you explain from a wisdom perspective, um, here's why I don't want you to get involved in gaming because this is what your personality type is like. And this is where I feel like this could end up for you. Uh, and it's because I love you and I care about you. Exactly. And you present it in that way, and you say, you know, this is. I'm I'm not saying that that we're not going to allow you to game because it's a sin or because um, God's word says that playing video games is immoral. That's not our point. But we don't feel this is wise for you. I, my point is just I think if you d differentiate and distinguish with your children between your house rules and God's mm -hmm. commands. They can sort that out. But when parents put those things on the same level, yes. um, and, and, and I'm conservative uh, as a dad, mm -hmm. so our family is pretty conservative. And so there are things that um, our family doesn't do that other people do. Yes. And sometimes my children will say, well, how come you know the pastor's kids get to do it and everybody else, is, everybody else gets to do it? We don't. Um, and I try to explain the, the reasons, but I don't feel resentment from my children because I haven't confused them between the difference with, with them growing up thinking, oh, this is this is God's commands. Yes. Uh, if that makes sense. And, and kids who do grow up with that, that you have to. Oh, how can I put it? That basically obeying the house rules is equal to holiness. Mm -hmm. uh, they get messed up emotionally and theologically. They just get yes. confused and they tend to reject their parents and it's not pretty. I agree. And that's why I loved that example, because I think that that's, that's really important. And they see that in love, they see that it's done in love, you know, just like Christ loves us. We, we love our kids as well. Yeah. I think I talk about, I have a book called raising them up, uh, parenting for Christians. And I think I talk about that concept in that book. I'm pretty sure. All right. Raising them up. And right now, what's your, one of your favorite verses in the Bible? I know that there's probably a lot of them, but right now, what's one of your favorite ones and why? This is, this is a copy of oh, that Raising them up. There you go. Parenting for, for Christians. Thank you. Oh, my, my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, you know, I just the other night in my devotional time, I was reading uh, through Psalm 27. And somehow, oh, actually, uh, when I was 27, 
I read that chapter. Try to keep it short. Have you ever heard of Brother Andrew, God Smuggler? Yes. Right. The guy who smuggled Bibles, Bibles into Eastern in. yep. Communist China and all that. Yes. Well, I, I heard Brother Andrew speak. Uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but um, heard him speak in Grand Rapids when I was about 27 years old. And he said um, that he made it a habit to read the psalm that corresponded with his age every day for a year. So if he was 27, he would read Psalm 27 once a day uh, for a whole year. He read other parts of the Bible too, but he yeah. just would always do that. And so I was 27 at the time. And so I read through Psalm 27 like every day for a year. And when you do that, like it really saturates into yes. you and you pick up so much and like just different days, different parts of it will grab you and catch mm -hmm. you and stand out to you. And uh, <laughs> I will say I ended up abandoning that practice along life's road. I'm 48 now because there are some songs that are Psalms that are just morbidly depressing. And I'm like, I don't want to <laughs> hang out here for a year. Like there's days where I want this, but this one is like really depressing. So, um, so, so I haven't followed his whole uh, pattern with that. But as I, as I was uh, going through Psalm 27 again, I was just thinking there's so much depth and riches where David is sitting there. He's talking about what's most important. He says the most important thing, the thing that I desire the most, more than anything, is just to be in the presence of God, you know, just to sit with him and to gaze on his beauty, um, to admire him in his temple. Um, I just think how basic that is and fundamental that is to life, that the most fundamental thing in all of life is knowing God. Mm -hmm. I think also of like John 17, three, where it says, or Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And I actually wrote a couple of books called um, Questions God Asks and Questions Jesus Asks, uh, which are these more theological books uh, based on questions God asks people and questions Jesus asks people. And in writing those books, it was like my endeavor was I wanted to know God more and I wanted to know Jesus more. And so for me, I think that's like the most fundamental foundational pursuit of life is knowing God and knowing Jesus and like everything else springs out of that. Yes. And so um, if you asked me on a different day, I would give you a different answer. Uh, but my answer for today, um, just having been refreshed on that uh, two nights ago, looking at Psalm 27 was just how beautiful that, that whole message is about, you know, if you, if you just detach from all the chaos of life and, and you realize just how basic and important it is to simply be with with Christ mm -hmm. um, and to have fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's just the most important thing. And so um so yeah, there's it's hard to, you know, being asked what your favorite Bible verse or favorite Bible <laughs> passage is is kind of like, you know, it's it's actually probably worse than somebody asking what your favorite child is. <laughs> uh, you know, it's different different days, different verses. It is different days, out. even different yeah. times of the same day. So yeah, I've read absolutely. both of those books of yours and I did very much so enjoy them. And I do think just knowing God is so important. One thing that I did is I went through the Bible one time and I wrote down, I marked every single reference to God and wrote down what I learned about him in that time. Mm. And I, I just, mm. I loved that. I loved learning every name of it's God, beautiful. every characteristic of God. Then after that, I went back through and read through the Bible again, and it was who I was in Christ. And that's actually the last chapter of my book, because I think so much, if I know that truth of who God is and who I am because of him, it helps with all of the lies that you get from society. It helps yes. with your biblical worldview, which is what we need. 
And um, as I work with teenagers in the community, the lies in self-worth versus because you're looking at yourself differently, but to actually instead realize who you are in Christ and that that's your true identity, so true. it completely changes who you are. And so, uh, yeah, I love both of those, but I did. I enjoyed of, reading both of your books. Some <laughs> of my favorite books are books like Knowing God mm-hmm. from uh, J.I. Packer, uh, Desiring God. Love that one. Yep, love that John one. Piper, um, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Yes. Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. Um, I'm doing uh, the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and what and like I when I think about like some of my favorite books, I'm like, well, what do these books all have in common? Uh, you know, even like Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what do they all have in, in common? Well, it's about God, God. right? You can even know him more. <laughs> and so, I find that to be kind of a theme. Yes. Uh, about my life is um, uh, probably especially as I get older, that everything flows from that. It does. And um, somebody asked me recently, like, what do you think of all the problems we have in church? Like, what do you think is the biggest problem? (laughs) It's like, well, you know, I could spend days talking about that. And I just sort of intuitively just said a low view of God. Yes. A low view of God and a lack of biblical knowledge. I I mean, that's my opinion because. And probably the low view of God. It's because of the lack of biblical knowledge. Biblical knowledge, right? (laughs) Yes. Because when you read the scripture, you actually see God for who he is. Um, and, and so everything, you know, like everything falls apart Yes. from those, those things. And mm-hmm. so it's those fundamental, we, I was telling a friend this the other day, we don't fail because we have failed at some obscure point of theological doctrine. We fail in our Christian life, growth and development by not doing the most basic fundamental things that we've been told to do and that we know to do. That's where we fail. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's why. The Bible says that he, he knows the good thing he's supposed to do and doesn't do it to him. It's sin. Um, and I, I was telling my friend, I said, I have this weird hobby where I like to search for the interview with the losing coach after a major sports game, which is a weird hobby. That um, is. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know anybody else that does that. But But what fascinates me is I've listened to hundreds of them now, and there's only ever been one post-game interview with the losing coach. And it's always exactly the same. And they say, coach, you guys got killed out there tonight. What went wrong? And they always say the same thing. Well, we didn't execute the fundamentals. And that is exactly where we fail in our relationship with God. It's where we fail in our marriages. It's where we fail in our parenting. Um, It's where we fail in church. Mm -hmm. Is that there's basic fundamental things that we know we're supposed to do and we don't do it. Yes. And things go haywire. And then we're all like, oh, I don't know what happened. When I was three years old, we had this little song in Sunday school, this little ditty that we sang. And it, it said, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. <laughs> you know how they put these things, these simple yes, little kids songs. But it's true. You know, I'm 48 years old now. And I'm like, that a preach? That's right. You know? Yes. <laughs> and yet, why are we not growing spiritually? You know, why are we not becoming disciples? Why are we not maturing? Why are we not experiencing sanctification in our Christian life? Mm-hmm. You know, why is the church stuck? Why is it plateaued? Why is it worldly and carnal? And well, we're not doing the basics. We aren't. We and, and that's so true. So true. So this is not a study, but I've asked about a thousand people in the past few months as I've been teaching on prayer, how long they can pray, sit down mm. and pray. And the mm. answer is three to five minutes. That's what mm. I get across the board with people in the church. 
And I'm like, that's right there is a problem. You know, if we don't, if we can only spend three to five minutes talking to God, who that needs to be our relationship with him. And if our version of reading the Bible each day is one verse and hearing what somebody else has to say about that verse, rather than actually reading the scripture, then that's, that needs to change. And that's, that's really what my focus is as I teach my classes. And as I've, as I've written this book, that's just, yeah, if we could read the Bible and pray, (laughs) you know, and as you read the Bible, you can't, I mean, you want to talk to God so much more. You want to have that. And I just, the number one thing that I tell people to pray for whenever I teach them is just pray that God will increase the desire for you, that you'll, that he'll be the number one desire in your heart always. And that's a prayer God wants to answer. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. the thing is we can go to God and we can ask him to help us in this. We can ask him to help us pray more. We can ask him to help us in our prayers. We can ask him, we're supposed to ask him to help us to understand his word and to desire to read it. And he'll give us that desire. I did that. I prayed that whenever I was 28 years old. And I, um, I just felt I had read my Bible I had had quiet times my whole life, but whenever I was 28, I was like, no, I want to know God's word. I don't want to be deceived and I want to truly know it. I want to study it. And I prayed that he would put that desire in my heart. And every day since then, I have jumped out of bed, excited to spend time with God. I mean, an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, honestly can go by and it feels like nothing. And that's because of what he's done in my heart has nothing to do with me. I just asked for that. And because, you know, you can't spend time with him and not love him more. So that's so true. And I think reading uh, biographies and books of great Christians from the past, um, I've benefited so much from that that in my life. And I would encourage other people to do that, too. So books like um, Revival Praying by Leonard Ravenhill um, with with Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray, Mm -hmm. anything by E.M. Bounds on prayer. Um, Charles Spurgeon had some great things he wrote on prayer, uh, reading about people like John Hyde. Uh, praying hide uh, just so many uh, Eric Ludy has a good book called wrestling prayer there's just so many books uh, that I love reading on those topics and and I think in terms of spiritual disciplines uh, of all the Christian leaders that I know mm-hmm. that I ask them what's the most challenging spiritual discipline for you it's always prayer yes I've never had anyone tell me something other than prayer mm-hmm. they're like that's the one I struggle with the most um, in my life that's the one I struggle with the most a- everyone I know that's the one they struggle with the most and yet um, you know, you, you read like George Whitfield when he said, whole days and weeks have I spent mm-hmm. on the ground in uh, prostrate in, in silent or vocal prayer. Yes. Um, you know, so many of these Christian leader, D.L. Moody, uh, mm-hmm. on and on. Uh, oh, there's a great book on prayer by um, R.A. Torrey, mm-hmm. uh, who was, you know, a co-worker with D.L. Moody. Um, I have this hashtag I use on social media all the time, read old dead guys. Um, because so many, of those, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> those guys, they, they knew God yes. you know, and it's different than a lot of the, the pop Christian authors today, yes. um, where, you know, what they write is not always bad or it's not always wrong, but it's not deep. Yeah. <laughs> it's just super shallow. Yeah. But a lot of those guys, they really knew God in a profound way. And so reading their biographies and, uh, reading those books are immensely helpful for me. Mm-hmm. It challenges me. Um, John Wesley, I mean, you read his spiritual devotional life uh, and his commitment that he had to, um, you know, rising at 4 a.m. Yes. See, just practices like that, that you're able to see and to see their, yes, I love that. And my dad, he is 
very much so a prayer warrior always has been. And he has always prayed for hours and he'll stay up all night mm. praying. And he mm. leads the um, pastor's prayer retreat every year in, in mm. our state. And so I've had that example modeled for me from childhood awesome. of the importance of prayer. Wow. And I've seen him praying for hours. And so to me, I've seen the power of prayer over and over again. And then you see it historically, like you said, through all of these people, but just, yeah, yeah. Being able to spend more time in prayer and it makes a big difference. And as, as parents discipling our children, spending that mm-hmm. time in prayer for them, you know, yeah, as we're for, doing this so that we know sure. what to do because they're all so different. Like you said. Yeah, for sure. And I think before we came on the air, we were talking about how we're parents now of, of adult children. And uh, my wife and I are finding in that season that, that that's our go-to now because um, you don't always have the capacity to input verbally. Um, you know, they're adults and they're they are. making decisions and they're even not in proximity. Um, just an example, my, my oldest son and my 14-year-old were coming back from a Bible quiz tournament this last weekend in Washington State. They were in Seattle. And my son um, has two states that he hasn't been in in the continental, my 23-year-old. Um, he's traveled with me a lot on the road and he got a rental car. He wanted to drive all the way from Seattle, uh, back home to Michigan. And I didn't understand the dynamic, but he wanted to do it in two days because he had to get to work on Monday. This is the insanity of being 23. You know what I mean? <laughs> like at a certain point, wisdom sets in. I don't know when that is at 30 or sometime. And you're like, no, that's stupid, man. I'm not doing that. So he just thought, well, I don't need to sleep. I'll just drive nonstop for 48 hours. And I, you know, of course I found out about this. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> um, but anyway, somewhere in Montana, he lost cell phone signal and spent like, you know, a day with no cell phone signal. My wife's freaking out. She's like trying to call him, trying to text him. trying, And she's like coming to me. She's like, even in the middle of the night, honey, he's not answering his text. His phone seems to be off. It's, there's probably a problem. What can we do? How can, who should we call? What can we, <laughs> honey, he's fine. Well, how do you know he's fine? He's not calling. I can't get a hold of him. <laughs> and I'm like, just pray. Just let's just pray. He's fine. Let's just pray. Anyway, uh, but that's, you know, you find that to be more true when you uh, have these adult children that your your influence, I think, sometimes comes less through lecturing and more through interceding. Yes, it does. Very much so. And having that relationship so that they come to you for advice, I think, is helpful, too. Like you said, the importance of having those relationships. So where can people find you if they want to hear you, learn more about you, find out about your books? Etc. Where should they look? Well, our ministry website is familyrenewal.org. Um, if they come to my uh, speaking site, it's israelwayne.com. So if they're interested in having me speak at their church or family camp or some other event, they can go to israelwayne.com and pass that on to their pastor or event coordinator. Uh, I have a Christian apologetics website called christianworldview.net. And then they can find me on any social media platform. Just look up Israel Wayne or Family Renewal. And then we have a podcast that's called Family Renewal, and they can find that wherever they listen to podcasts or on YouTube. They can look up Family Renewal Podcast and subscribe to it there. Um, And then if they want to get on our email list to know where we're going to be speaking, like particularly if we're coming to their area, I do a lot of free seminars around the country. They can go to familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe and uh, sign up on our email list. So um, we would love to connect. And then if they have personal questions, Best way to reach me, honestly, is private message through Facebook Messenger. Um, 
sometimes my emails get buried. And uh, so if you're, if you use Facebook, um, that's probably the best way. Just send me a private message on Facebook Messenger and I'll get back with you. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. I really appreciate it. It's been a blessing. I appreciate you inviting me on your, on your podcast.